Welcome everybody to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, you will be listening to our conversation. Sona and I will be breaking down the season finale of The White Lotus, which just wrapped up. The episode, Arrivederci. This is going to be our instant thoughts. Literally, we wrapped up watching this just moments before we started recording. So it won't be as smooth as it usually is, but I hope you enjoy the conversation. I had a minor recommendation that I want to make for everybody really, really quick before we get into the breakdown of the episode. And it is that I recommended on this podcast earlier this fall, probably end of summer, uh, a, sh- a movie called Emily the Criminal starring Aubrey Plaza. She gives a great performance mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. that. And it's now available on Netflix. And it's one of the top, I think it's number three or something on the latest rankings of their streaming movies. So people are finding it. But if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. It's available on Netflix. Very easy to watch. And it's excellent. And the second recommendation I'd have is that the um, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson film, The Banshees of Inishirin, which is probably going to be get a bunch of award nominations here at the end of the year. hear good things about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is premiering. It's still in theaters right now. And it's premiering on HBO on Tuesday. So anybody wants to watch that? It's everything's streaming within weeks of their release in theaters, by the way. So that's a new one to watch. And I will definitely be watching that. I have not yet caught up on it, but I will definitely be watching it. So check that out. That's another thing to recommend to watch. And Sona and I will be getting back together on this feed to discuss the two most recent episodes of Fleischman is in Trouble, episode five, which already has been out, and episode six, which we'll be releasing this week. And we'll be discussing it probably on Friday when the episode comes out. Stay tuned for that. I was originally going to possibly do a beat by beat breakdown of the of the plot separate from this conversation, just so we can record this very quickly. But I don't even know if it's worth it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I think everybody kind of wants to get to the end. But then we can kind of talk about the individual dynamics of the different groups and then how they landed at the end of the show more than i mean it's the end of the episode but really this is a recap this is that ending for the show right it's like it doesn't really have any value outside of this other than being like a finale oh well, first of all just a couple of things this one's called arrivederci appropriate right and ciao Adending was the it. first exactly mm-hmm. and going back to the first season it started with arrivals ended with departures bookends once again all right good point i did a little research ahead of time just had a curiosity <laughs> nice so uh <laughs> so the uh big thing here, of course, is that rather than, you know, I was kind of maybe overthinking it that they're going to like tease this whole Tanya thing and that is not where they're going. But no, (laughs) it's been right in front of our face the whole entire time. This is where they were going the whole entire time. And the plot is pretty much uh, what we expected. As a matter of fact, it's even more ridiculous, not ridiculous, but it's even more over the top than I expected. I actually anticipated, given this show, I thought it's not that kind of show. They're not going to have this whole murder plot. It's going to be. I mean, I literally said that the other week, I think. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, no, it's going to be not about a murder. You know, that's what they're teasing. And even in this episode, honestly, I think he's still playing. Mike White is still playing with our expectations in like they're teasing out maybe early on that the ladies, you know, Tanya and Portia are getting themselves overworked up, although there's obviously a conspiracy going on. But I was still thinking this is all about the infidelity, right? Yeah. And also, um, did you see that thing that was going around on, I guess, Twitter and who knows where else about like they were recording Tanya? Yes. Right. Right. So I thought like that would be, I felt more in keeping with the show, some sort of blackmail thing. I, I don't know. Yeah, that, I did not hear that conversation on the internet, but I was assuming that in the fact that in last week's episode where when he was in the other room, Niccolo was in the other room, 
they were like preparing and I'm like, what's he preparing? <laughs> He's just taking his clothes off. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm like, but if they, and that's why I thought about it even then I'm like, but if they were setting up like a hidden camera or they were, you know, coordinating things with Quentin that they would need a minute to prep. So I was thinking that might be why they have that, you know, that moment that where they're separated. And once again, I, I thought about it, maybe I over, overthought it again, was just the whole idea of like, why have her have sex with Niccolo, right? If he's just going to murder her, the next, like if they're just going to murder her, then, <laughs> then just murder her, right? Like they don't need all this other pomp and circumstance, right? Yeah, good point. Anyway, I was still very much leaning into the, it's the infidelity. Maybe clause. they hadn't decided at that point whether to murder her or not. <laughs> right. They're like, maybe so infidelity is enough. Yeah, that'd be better yeah. just kill her off. <laughs> yeah, deciding which route to go. <laughs> but yeah, so it was truly a murder plot. This is the end. Maybe <laughs> happy to know this for you, Sona, that uh, <laughs> Jennifer Coolidge will not be coming back for season three. <laughs> you know what, though? I have to say, as much as I am not a Jennifer Coolidge fan generally and was not a particular fan of Tanya, I was really stressed out for her in this episode. Yes, it was very. Like they it was did like, a very good yeah. job of creating yeah. tension there. It went into straight up a thriller territory in this, in this episode. Yeah, I mean, for someone that like I didn't care all that much about, I was really legitimately worried for her. And I was worried about Portia too because I didn't know how off the rails. I this mean, whole thing she was had no self preservation instinct whatsoever. <laughs> Neither one of what them. What was she Neither doing? One of them. <laughs> she said, "I can get a taxi. Well, get yes. the hell out get of the car the and get taxi. a taxi, girl." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Figure it out. I mean, even if it's just like, you know, he, he she doesn't have the cash on her. She doesn't have her phone. All true. Call the police and say, this Something. guy has my phone or get into a cab and say, take me to the White Lotus. I guarantee you get me to the White Lotus. One of the biggest resorts in the area. I will get you the money for this cab. Ride, I promise. Right. So yeah. Again, they did a very good job creating tension there. Jack was seeming very like dark and nefarious. What are you doing? You're in a country where you don't speak the language. You don't know the roads. You have no idea where this guy is taking you. And you're just like, yeah, sure. I'll go back to the hotel. Uh, oh, Portia. <laughs> <laughs> so th then I thought of the parallels between Portia and Tanya and how they're just basically both been kidnapped by these polite kidnappers. And instead of <laughs> doing like, for example, Tanya, when she's on the boat itself and she's talking to Porsche and Porsche's get raising an alarm, call emergency services. They will send a boat out. It's as if the social niceties overwhelm their mm -hmm, need for self-preservation. Mm -hmm. And they're both in the exact same circumstance where Porsche's saying, like, there's something really bad going on here. And then her kidnapper basically says, get into the car. She's like, okay, I'll get in the car. It's like, what yeah, are you doing? Like, like, what are you doing? Neither of these two saw that whole Oprah episode with the gift of fear, right? Like, do you remember this from back in the day? I like, did not. Never go to a second location. Never right. go never. to a second true. location. True. true. But yes, that whole thing is very funny and suspenseful. You're right. It is absolute suspense there trying to figure out. <laughs> but also there's comedy thrown in there too. I have to say that I laughed out loud. Actually, one of the funniest things I've seen on the show was when Tanya's tried to, co to convey to the captain. <laughs> the, the whole plot first of all first of all her summary of the plot is hilarious and, and the fact that like the dish the captain does not know anything she's saying and then when he says no i'm gay too then all of a sudden she's like oh no as if like you know the fact that he's gay has like made him part of the whole cabal as well <laughs> oh and one last thing on that before we kind of wrap up other parts of the storyline first of all i'm glad that you know i don't love tanya either but i feel like they did make her three-dimensional character in this particular uh, you know season of show and also that i'm glad that she didn't just die in a pitiful i mean 
she was pitiful up to an extent, but that like in the end, she basically off all these guys. Right? Kicked exactly. in. Yes. Yeah. Which I was happy to see. So she kind of gets to be the hero here, even though she still dies. And I did feel a little pity for her when she's trying to make it onto the yacht. And then, you know, when she, uh, I literally think I said it out loud. Take off like, the shoes. Take off the shoes. Oh my God. First of all, I said exactly that out loud to myself, like take off those shoes. And the second thing that I said was when she went and like basically hit her head on the yacht as she went overboard, I said, oh, Tanya. <laughs> just like little set like oh alas there goes time <laughs> i really was hoping that she would somehow make it onto the boat just like kind of flop onto the back of the boat and yeah, make it to land yeah. but and there was still a chance of that because the bodies could have been like that guy who escaped at the end it's interesting mike white is basically playing me like a fiddle and i think the audience in general but definitely me in giving all these options where you know when you see that one guy survive the the shoot yeah. the shootings and run off or jump out. It's like, well, he could be the one who drowned, right? And she could right. still get away. And he, so he's giving you all of these different scenarios to play out in your mind. But no, when she hit her head, I was like, nope, <laughs> that's the end of time. That's it. Yeah. So that mystery is solved. The um interesting thing, just thematically, I thought about this show was seeing almost everybody's mask slip in this particular episode as a theme. Mm-hmm. There's so much plot in this episode that it's kind of hard to look at thematics, but I think that was interesting. And you see it when Daphne is calling Cam in the bathroom and he's like flossing and he's like, mm -hmm. she's like, come talk to your kids. And he is not wanting to do it. And then yes. he walks into the other room and puts a smile on. Turns and it on. Yeah. You see for a moment there, that's his true face. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see it with Daphne when Ethan confronts her one more time and Ethan goes, I think this is what happened. And you see her look to the both ways and you see until, and then she looks at Ethan and she puts her face back on. But when she looked to the side and she looks the, and she's contemplating this, she's mad. She's confused. And that's her real face. That's what she deals with all the time. Mm -hmm. And then she goes back and she starts playing her role again. And you see the same thing happen to Jack, right? Jack is like, we can do this the nice way or we can do this the hard mm -hmm. way. And when she basically says, the gig is up, I know the game you're playing. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, I don't have to wear this mask anymore. It's coming off, right? Mm -hmm. In a way, it's like Portia and Tanya not the best characters on the show. I think you would agree, but at least they are themselves. They are themselves. That's it. <laughs> That's what you get, right? Mm -hmm. But speaking of masks slipping, what'd you think of the two big mysteries here within that quartet of characters? And as a matter of fact, Mike White, Mike White, the writer and director of this show, kind of gives us an answer, you know, his version of it. But he intentionally, obviously, once again, leaves everything ambiguous to us, regardless of what he says in words. He leaves the text open to interpretation. So in your interpretation, A, what happened in that room between Harper and Cam? Oh, this is another one that I called yeah. wrong, right? So mm -hmm. um, I really thought that Harper was too up on her high horse yeah. to engage anything like this because it would make her a hypocrite. But I guess her anger at Ethan overwhelmed her morality. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but she did say many times as an excuse, I was drunk, I was drunk, I was right, drunk. Right. I don't know. As someone <laughs> right. who probably has more in common personality-wise with Harper than any other character that I've seen on this show, for good or for bad, um, <laughs> I personally have never done anything drunk that I probably wouldn't do sober. Right. And I've certainly never like compromised mor morality when drunk in a way that I wouldn't do if I was sober. So I think she's making a little bit of an excuse for herself there. But I did believe her story 
aside from still having a logistical issue with the connecting door situation. Because unless you open that door from the other side first, you're not going to be able to get through it. Right. But the rest of it rang true to me, I thought. I mean, the big question being, or the scandal of it being, right? Like, she did go up there thinking something was going to happen with Cameron. And she did, you know, let him into the room. He bolted the door. And if Ethan hadn't come banging on the door, then who knows? Right. First of all, to directly to the point you just made, I think oftentimes in my life, uh, nothing to this extent, but there's been many times when I'm kind of, I don't know what's up here and I'm just going to play this out. Just see what's what's up, what what, what the story is. And I can imagine yes. her, like you were saying, Cam being really flirtatious with her and then being like, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, like kind of playing it off. And she's like, let me see if I gave him the opportunity. Would he make a move? Like she really wants True. to get, you know, get the answer to that question for herself. <clears throat> so I can imagine that it wasn't as innocent in intention as she makes it out to be. I mean, she admitted it wasn't about the hat, right? So. <laughs> yes, the fact that he was hung up on the hat was hilarious. <laughs> she actually laughs and he's like, it's not funny. And it's like, but I would have laughed too. The idea that it's, so it wasn't about the hat. <laughs> you yeah. never really needed that. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't about that. <laughs> I think we're past the hat. No, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I guess not. Oh, but the thing I was going to say is that in Aubrey Plaza's performance, she's obviously lying to him he's calling her out saying like i know you're lying to me but Mm -hmm. she is definitely uncomfortable in answering these Mm -hmm. questions i thought that she would actually play up that something had happened to goose him in some way because he's been so stoic this whole entire time like just to get him riled up in some way which actually ends up happening in this particular episode but at the same time (laughs) (laughs) right it ends up being like an aphrodisiac for them you know inadvertently but i don't see and i thought that might have been her agenda but in her response she seems so uncomfortable it does not seem like it was her agenda to start with so i still feel like there's some thing about that story that she is not saying and and i can't imagine i mean like it just doesn't even make any sense that they were like in the middle of having sex or something and uh he walked in on them you know because it's like you need you need more than three or four minutes to get that going i don't think that happened but something something more than just a kiss happened i think you think i do i do Hmm. despite the fact that mike white said no (laughs) it's not true but i still feel like there was something more to it well so did ethan so (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and then, of course, follow-up question there, when Ethan confronts Daphne with this on the, the uh, beach, do they hook up? What do you think happened? That had not even occurred to me until I saw that after show thing. Really? No way. Yes. You didn't think that was the implication of that scene, or at least the- It they, did not even really? occur to wow. me. Maybe I'm just very naive. I read it. I mean, obviously, he's leaving it ambiguous. They're just walking into those trees together, but it is a very subject, suggestive even in the way it's filmed, it's very suggestive in the fact that, you know, it's like that slow motion shot and Daphne's looking back at him and then he stops at one moment and mm-hmm. then he enters the, the you know, he, after he stops, she goes into the, you know, beyond the tree line and then he pauses and then he goes in too, right? So that is very suggestive. That's something like is happening there that we're not allowed to see, which indicates that it was more than just the hike on the onto the mm, I guess I'm just very naive I just <laughs> it, you know what it probably is is that they have shown so little chemistry between those two yes 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 I understand why it could have happened and why that would make sense 
but just these two particular characters have given no indication. Right. <laughs> like they barely seem aware of each other's existence. <laughs> so, so I guess that's why my head is just not in that space. But it does make sense um, to some extent. The reason I thought that it indicated that they, not that they definitely did, but they possibly did something. You know, I don't know how many boundaries they crossed to uh, even out the playing field or whatever they, they thought there had happened there between Cam and Harper. But the things that make me think that it might have happened is Daphne specifically. First of all, I do not buy into her philosophy at all, by the way. I thought that was a terrible philosophy for her to have. But, you know, she ends it off by saying that you just have to do whatever it takes for you mm-hmm. to feel yes. like you have even the feel or like where you feel like you're yes. not being taken advantage of. And then she immediately after saying that, she goes, why don't you come for a walk with me? Right. Yes. That's Which true. indicates that maybe, like to your point, I don't know if it has anything to do with chemistry. I think it has to do with vengeance. They're doing it purely out of spite, not because they're attracted to each other, but just to like get even with their spouses. Mm-hmm. And the second reason I thought that it made sense was just kind of from a symmetry uh, in, the, in the plot standpoint, that it would be kind of like ironically poetic if Cam and Harper did not do anything really substantial, maybe some flirting, maybe a little necking, maybe, right? That, that's about it. And that, you know, their spouses, the retaliation was like a disproportionate response. But the show doesn't make it clear. I thought it would be symmetrical that since Ethan, I don't think ever admitted to Harper that he did kiss Mia, that if all Harper and Cameron did was kiss, then that would be the parallel. Right. Next ones to talk about is probably the DeRossi men. Interesting to see them at the very end of the episode at their airport when that, you know, good looking woman walks by and all three of them turn mm-hmm. their heads and, and ogle her. <laughs> so they mm-hmm. all fall from the same tree, not surprisingly. But poor Albie did get suckered by mm-hmm. his response that moment in the morning when she sneaks out. And she's so mm-hmm. happy, by the way, so honestly happy that he's given her the money. Honestly, like sweet with him, you know, that he's going to do this for her. But then in the morning, she ducks out. And when he hears that mm-hmm. door closing, he's just like, oh, my God, I've been suckered. He knew. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, theoretically, she was not like, I'm going to marry you. She was saying, I'll come visit you in Los Angeles. So there's no reason that they couldn't stay in communication. But obviously, if she is sneaking out in the morning, mm-hmm. that is not a good sign that she wants to keep this thing going long term. Oh, boy. 50,000 euro later. What a payout. She definitely cashed in. Mm-hmm. And we see her and uh, Mia walking arm in arm down the street at the end, like Laverne and Shirley, mm-hmm. by the way, an inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike White, I'll just bring it up here briefly, but we'll talk about it more maybe later in the week. Mike White was on Terry Gross's show, Fresh Air, in an interview mm-hmm. earlier this week. And he said some really fascinating things about the show. And she was talking about how a lot of people have written, how his writing reminds people of Edward Albee and... Um, Ibsen, this uh, marriage dynamics, like you think about like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or something like that. And he says to Terry Gross, oh my God, like when I went to theater school, like when he was learning how to write, when he was like a teenager, those were all my favorite playwrights. And Mm -hmm. she says, but it also makes me think about um, The Love Boat. (laughs) And he, he admits, you know, he's basically our age, grew up watching the same things we did. And he said the inspirations, despite all these people saying all these high breath things about the show, his inspirations for the show was The Love Boat which was all mm-hmm. these like, you know, good looking people showing up and, you know, celebrities mm-hmm. showing up on, a, on, you know, being stuck on a boat together. The Fantasy Island, which used to run with the love boat, right? Because they're on an mm-hmm. island. Right like, after it. Yeah. Right? Scared the heck out of me as a kid. <laughs> right. Exactly. And Laverne and Shirley because of me and Lucia. So I'm <sighs> like, he, 
so I thought that was very funny that everybody's like saying that this is like this very highbrow show and it's like it's based on Love Boat, <laughs> Fantasy Island, and Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, so you see them doing their little Laverne and Shirley skip down the street at the end of the show. And I was happy for them. I got to tell you, even though Albie has to learn this very tough lesson, but his dad can afford it. His dad can afford it. Hey. On the one hand, Dominic is pointing out, well, you don't know the value of money. But on the other hand, I'll be saying, but it really is nothing to you. So, And he doesn't really deny that. So, um, yes, I also thought this was a nice contrast to in the first season where the locals really got the short end of the stick. Right. 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 Um, here, the locals kind of prevail and <laughs> end up with the happily ever after. In a way. <laughs> exactly. Even though it costs him 50,000 euros and it's, you know, he's rich enough where that's probably not that much money in the end. Dominic's probably not that ha- unhappy with the situation because Albie preemptively actually put yep. in a good word for, for him and his wife answered the phone. That's Laura Dern, by the way, on the, vo- on the phone. Oh, and, uh, interesting. Yeah. Who's also very good friends with Mike, right? Probably not the end of the world. And hey, he got something out of it. He got, he rebuilt this relationship with his, his son. His son now has maybe this thing that he's bonded with his dad. Even though he doesn't know all the details of it, it's kind of something that will this build a new intimacy between them as men, not you know as just a child and, and a father, not in a positive way, unfortunately, but still, it's something that they have a shared experience and brings them closer maybe to reuniting the family as well. And I, I always had that feeling that Portia and Albie weren't done with fully, you know, mm-hmm. when they said that goodbye. And of course, they ran into each other at the airport. They did exchange numbers finally. And, and of course, they're playing Sam Cook's The Best Things in Life are free. So it's yeah. like, you know what? <laughs> you should have just exchanged phone numbers in the first place. Just... <laughs> <laughs> or just hooked up and just not have had these little disastrous dalliances. I like the little exchange between them, though. Like, oh, what happened with your girl? Oh, I got taken. What happened yeah. with your guy? He was deranged. <laughs> <laughs> he was deranged. Yes. <laughs> What do you think? I mean, we didn't talk much about it, but what did you think about Jack when his mask slips and then he goes into, <laughs> he apparently drove two hours with her without saying a word to her. And she just kind of sat there, probably terrified the whole entire time. And then he just drops her off at the airport, basically says, hey, I guess you just spend the night in the airport. <laughs> just said, stay here for the next uh, 10 I mean, hours. He didn't so even, I don't think he even dropped her off at the airport proper. Like, I think no. she still had to walk a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, those. you hear those planes? That's where you're going. Yes, walk in that direction. <laughs> They did show there was like some sort of road sign behind her. So I guess one of those probably said airport this way, but still. He's not all cruel there. He basically says to her that she should just like not look back because these people are dangerous, implying that, you know, basically he's trapped in this circumstance as well. I mean, he's giving her good advice. Right. But she couldn't have saved her, by the way. She could not have saved Tanya. So even if she had somehow made it back to the hotel. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it now. I, I mean, really, it's that had she been able to get back to the party that night, could she have done something? But I think not. I think she she just would have been in danger too then. She would have just been on that boat too, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, Jack might have been like, I'll just get her out of your hair. like Right. right. Which was probably the intention in the first place. It's a pretty messed up thing that Greg is willing to, I mean, like he's willing to just get, you know, get this involved with these people to, uh, to offer that. Yeah, I mean, it's assumed that there's some sort of love affair, right? Longstanding. But also, like, how long has he had this plan? Right, right. It's funny to see that, you know, in the featurette there at the end where you see Mike White being interviewed, they do show Greg and Tanya, who had like a real, Greg thought he was dying. So he kind of thought he was having this one last romance. Right. And uh, he kind of has this kind of almost sweet 
connection with her. It's it's all gotten very, very darkly. What's interesting that he teases there is that he says, oh, I assume, you know, with all these bodies and stuff that maybe eventually this will get tracked back to Greg. And he says, well, maybe we have yeah. to wait till next season. So yeah. it would be interesting to see if Greg shows up at a resort, because, of course, he's extremely wealthy now. And then there's like some kind of karmic comeuppance, which would be interesting to see. I mean, Greg was kind of a jerk last year, too, right? Oh, yeah, like, he was. Yeah. So the seeds were planted. But I mean, this is long term planning. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, is, yeah, this is involved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess we did. We get did we get everybody. Well, you've got the whole Mia Valentina situation. Uh, so yeah, we see Valentina. She is now <laughs> not as sexually frustrated, I guess, as before. She allows Rocco to return to the desk. Mm-hmm. She seems genuinely happy uh, after combing her hair. By the way, when she got to the desk, all fresh. Yes, in the morning, very like, disheveled. Comb yes. her hair for God's sakes, woman! It doesn't take that long. And uh, she's much more put together later on when Mia shows up. And uh, Mia's like, you know, I could take you out, but it looks like Valentina still wants to do this with Mia. She's just kind of suddenly smitten after one night mm-hmm. with her. But maybe there's good things for Valentina and her future too. And the girls will still be around. I actually thought that there was a possibility that we would see Lucia taking off, but nope, Mia mm-hmm. got her. Lucia's still around. Mia's still around. The girls in town are still there, arm in arm. And, we saw uh, that the pimp works down the street. Yep. He's just a buddy down the street, works at the door. Exactly. Which I kind of suspected all along. Not right. specifically that, but that it was something similar to that. And yeah, and she got, the, inadvertently, by the way, seems like she did not even do this strategically. She's just saying, hey, I want to play piano for tonight. And maybe, mm-hmm. is that your interpretation? Giuseppe has returned. And she doesn't just say, no, no, no. I told Mia she can play tonight. Right. She says, you're fired. And Mia is your replacement, period. <laughs> End of I mean, right. In fairness, people have been complaining about his piano playing Correct. and how bad yep. it is. Mm-hmm. So there is some legitimate basis for that. Um, but I did love Mia's response when she sees him of, you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> you're alive. I always like her overly friendly, like, bye-bye. When he's like, after he's fired, just, ciao, bye. Yeah, he's gotten her big break. Mm-hmm. So maybe the last thing I want to talk about is maybe the biggest theme of this whole entire show or probably, I mean, almost definitely, which is the whole transactional nature of sex itself. You think about the fact that Mia uses her sexual wiles, not only specifically transactionally to earn money, but she also uses sex, even without the money to manipulate people's emotions, which of course, in this particular case, specifically leads to more money. But you think about Mia, who gets the job that she's wanted. First, she tries to seduce Giuseppe. That doesn't work. She goes to Valentina. Mm -hmm. That works, right? You think about uh, Jack and how he is basically another sex worker, right? And that he is surviving with these guys living in the lap of luxury, but he's you know basically being used by these men and also is a weapon that they you know, use against other people. You have Ethan and Cam, right? Where Cam deep down inside knew that Ethan was going to be success. Something was there where he had to go and like basically seduce every girl that Ethan was interested in. So there's this, you know, using sex as once again, like kind of a weapon there. And you see with the rekindling of passions between Ethan and Harper, it's as if like they needed to flirt or overtly transgress with these other people to reignite their own attraction to each other right so this it's just this interesting idea of sex being this tool that you can use like it could be to bring your marriage back together but it could be to kill somebody off right you know like Mm -hmm. using niccolo to keep tanya distracted so that she could basically be murdered the next day 
Yeah, which, by the way, I was watching this with my husband, and he was like, why the rope and the tape if you have the gun? Why not just shoot? <laughs> right. <laughs> which is an interesting question. <laughs> it might have just been like a, a kill bag. <laughs> he brought everything yes. to the case. Film suspenders. You just right. never know which, <laughs> which, what mood exactly. will you be in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm not sure why you need to tie her up. Unless they were going to tie her up and then take her somewhere else. And then, you know, but then why would they take her right back there, right in front of the hotel? So her body could obviously be found. It's just, it's very odd. That's a, that's a very good point, actually. They, they, he did definitely did not need the other ones. Right. I also, that, that's an interesting point that he brought up. Didn't even think about it. What I did think about, though, was that, uh, and I don't know the Italian, so I'm sure that re- there will be Reddit boards that talk about the actual dialogue that they're speaking to each other in Italian. But I did think that, like, Niccolo, as he's getting onto the, uh, um, the boat is a true psychopath, by the way, because he just has mm-hmm. this friendly, easygoing smile. He's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Meanwhile, he's like planning to murder her just within mm-hmm. minutes. I, I really do feel like in a way that maybe that actor was not given the correct instructions, <laughs> <laughs> the right directions. Yes. And um, in contrast, right, to the one who's like weeping when he says goodbye to her. Yes, exactly. He's like, exactly. They know what's going to come and they yeah. honestly feel bad about it because they've kind of come to like her. Yes. But she kills them all. <laughs> Almost. But anyway. <laughs> One of them might have swum away, so it's possibly he survived. We don't know how strong a swimmer he is. Did you think this was a satisfying ending to this season of show, or did you think they took it in the wrong direction for you? Uh, I mean, I felt like it was misleading, saying, you know, starting with, like, there are multiple bodies. Yeah. I think, you know, the assumption was clearly that these were all going to be hotel guests. So I don't think it was like a cheat. I think it was fair, but I also think it was misleading. I mean, I don't know how to feel about it because in a way I feel disappointed by this episode because I you know, didn't really care that much about the bodies. Like, I think it's kind of funny at the beginning of this season of show, you mentioned that I was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, he's going to keep the dead body around. I didn't think that was going to be a motif for the show, but apparently will be in every show now, I guess. Mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. And you were the, uh, the exact opposite. You were saying, oh, that was the first thing I was looking for. <laughs> I guess you were right in the fact that, uh, A, I think it's made the show very popular, but B, it's also the fact that, you know, it was a very big part of the finale. I honestly thought that we were going to see almost something like in the first season where it's almost like an accidental death and it was mm-hmm. almost irrelevant uh, because I was so interested in the themes that the show was bringing up. And that's where I feel it's a little unsatisfying to me, particularly. I thought, to your point, I thought that the thriller aspects of it were really good. I was actually like on the edge of my seat during some of the scenes in the show, surprisingly, right? Yep. And, uh, but, and there were some, you know, and then I was kind of worried, is this just going to be a thriller? But then we did get some of the stuff I like in seeing the dynamics between those four and also seeing the kind of parallel, that quid pro quos that's happening very interestingly between Albie basically saying to his dad, like once again, these negotiation of power dynamics saying, give me the money and I will give you what you want to. So it's like, that's all very interesting that it was paying off, but it felt like it's weird because then you have to go back into this thriller plot. And for me, like the show just wasn't a thriller. So I just, you know, felt like it wasn't necessarily the ending I wanted. Although I think entertainment wise, yeah, it was entertaining. I was definitely entertained throughout. Uh, Maybe just not what I wanted the ending to be. So in other words, I like the episode, but it's probably my least, like if I had to rank them, it would probably be my least favorite of all the episodes of the show, but it was still entertaining. Definitely. 
it was entertaining still. And I mean, just overall, I enjoyed this season a lot more. I agree. Then I I had enjoyed the first season, you know, for reasons that that we've talked about that I just felt like it was a very um, shallow treatment of the issues the first season that made it just like very black and white, rich people bad, (laughs) poor people good kind of thing. Here, I think there was a much more um, nuanced consideration of all of the issues and how complicated it all can be. So I really did appreciate that, that they had taken the taken a different approach this season with that, regardless of the whole murder mystery angle. I mean, if anything, I guess now that we're talking about it and I'm thinking about, you know, what I saw like an hour and a half ago, everything seemed very on message except for that murder mystery point, right right exactly yes like that just seemed like a departure from the themes the show is trying was trying to exactly discuss and maybe if they'd gone the infidelity route it would have made a little yes. bit more sense it would right. have been more consistent but going straight out to killing someone for the money like it just didn't seem in keeping with everything else the show was exploring right that's exactly how i felt about it once again definitely entertaining but exactly that, even seeing these very strong scenes, by the way, where they're continuing to develop those same themes, but then jumping back into the thriller plot, you're like, okay, you know, these things don't necessarily mix that well. And like you said, I last week had totally convinced myself, maybe part of the reason I'm a little disappointed now that this was an infidelity plot, because seeing Greg on the shore confronting her with a video or whatever would have been thematically right on point right it's just like mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is the transactional sexual relationship they had right this is just mm-hmm. more of the same right so it, it it just seemed a little um out of left field uh in that regard but that's kind of that's why i say i don't know how to read it, it even myself because if i wanted something to surprise me the fact that it went straight up murder thriller i was like i did not expect that that's definitely not what i was thinking the, the show right? was going. So, so oh let me mention one last yeah. thing that just occurred to me that we didn't discuss how about that scene of the last dinner where Ethan and Harper are sitting there silently? Oh my God. And yes. then Karen and Daphne come along. They're happy-go-lucky selves. Cameron's yep. still with the bruise on his eye, of course. Yep. Being like, why aren't we sitting together? <laughs> I thought that was just a really funny scene. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then, of course, the funniest thing about it is I'm waiting for someone at the dinner table to shoo them away. You know, But then, once again, that's why I thought that Ethan had had sex with Daphne, by the way. That's the other thing that reinforced it in my mind. And, you know, this is completely open to interpretation. But in my reading of it, you know, he had already stormed into Daphne's room saying, where's Cam? Where's Cam? Mm-hmm. Like, Try to drown Cam that morning, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then punched him in the face. So if you're in that circumstance where you are no longer doing a performance for Daphne and you have overtly punched <laughs> Cam in the face and confronted him, if that same person, if I was in that situation where I basically have told off these two people and then they come and sit down at dinner with me. I'm going to be like, I'm not going to eat with you. Get the hell out of here. But he doesn't say that he sits there and kind of is uncomfortable. And I'm like, why is he uncomfortable? Because maybe Daphne knows something now that he doesn't want to come out. Right. That's how I read it. Maybe, but it's definitely open to interpretation. I mean, I wanted to say just a couple more things that were in that interview with uh, Terry Gross, which I highly recommend people listen to is very entertaining and you get a lot of background on Mike White as well. He mentions that when he was younger, he wrote a lot of scripts from the point of view of, you know, being like a, a young Turk, like someone who's just starting out and being like, Hey man, I'm oppressed, you know, like you guys Mm -hmm. are all jerks. 
And now he's a boss, right? He like runs a show and he has, you know, he's written very successful movies and he he's written this very successful show and other shows as well in the past. This is definitely the most successful thing he's done uh, on TV anyway. And he says, now he's a boss. He like has a studio and everything. And he goes, now that he's a boss, he's like, hey, you know what? Bosses have problems too. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's just funny, like going back to your point of this saying like, yeah, you know, rich people have problems too. And that's, that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at here. And, uh, and he mentions uh, what he said about um, that when you're on vacation, when you're like in the lap of luxury, he has a house in Hawaii, by the way, he had like a nervous breakdown years ago and like moved to Hawaii to kind of clear his mind, which is kind of the inspiration for the White Lotus in Hawaii, which he got to shoot in his own backyard. I didn't realize that until I heard that interview, but it was funny that he basically says that when you're on vacation and you are uh, miserable, <laughs> you know, in, it, then it, it, it is truly existential, right? It's not like you're freaking out because you have some job responsibility you need to do or whatever. It's like, if you're unhappy at that moment, it's like, it's all on you. And the last thing I thought, which is really interesting was that he, on a whim, decided to put the dead body in the first white Lotus. Mm. And now he's like, and now he's, and then he said that uh, if I had known that's all I needed to do to have a hit show, he's like, I would have put a dead body in, in um, enlightened <laughs> and everybody would have watched that show. That's <laughs> which, funny. Which once again, well, you haven't seen enlightened. Everybody should watch it. It's really excellent. You know what though? I do think there's a little bit of a parallel here between the first and second season in that yeah. in the first season as well, I think the dead body mystery was very hyped up right? as right something very sinister must have happened and right. it wasn't right, right. in the end. Exactly. So well, here something really sinister did happen, exactly. but right. you know, maybe we are all getting too distracted by the dead body. Is my point. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that I think is the negative I would say about him. So that's where I'm so confused about how to read, how to assess whether this is successful or not, because exactly like you said, my expectation in this season was that the, dead body is going to be a red herring in a way too be just like it was in the first season because first he's season, not really right. he's not really interested in that that's not what he's interested in but of course he you know subverts our expectations good for him i i give him a kudos for that that he subverted expectations by giving us a true thriller at the end and being like no this is a murder conspiracy that you've been watching this whole entire time right so i'm like okay good for you you you, you tricked me uh in an entertaining way so i'm happy about that but like you said, but deep down inside, that's not what your show is about. So was it a good idea? Wasn't it a good idea? I'm right. very much it, on the fence. Very much on the fence. Yeah. I mean, you could see if this was written down on paper, people would be like, what's this doing here? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like this is not in keeping with the rest of it. And unfortunately, it, like to your point, I feel that this is a show that what I was blown away by right away at the very beginning was this basically almost like a French sex farce so this idea of like this inter, you know, personal relationships and the sex, sexual power dynamics and stuff, which was so entertaining and so smart in the way it was written. And just the way he writes characters, by the way, even in season one, I agree that with all your complaints about season one, but what impresses me, you know, we're watching Fleischman is in trouble, which uses narration which i normally don't like but the narration is excellent in that show mm -hmm, because a mm -hmm. it's so well written and b it's written from a different point of view so mm -hmm. there's a question as to how how much uh, you should trust what you're hearing in that narration which adds this like layer uh, to the show which i think is really interesting but i think about mike white is exploring people's interpersonal deep internal feelings and he's not giving you like narration they are telling you who they are purely by what they do. It's such a hard thing to do, to be able to, to write 
as well as this show was written. So all that stuff I loved in the first season as well, despite the issues I had, the same ones you had, and even more so in this <laughs> season. And long story short is, you know, I didn't really care about who the dead bodies were. <laughs> the conversation online is who's going to die? Who's going to live? Yes. Who's going to die? Right. I did that as a joke in our podcast to be like, oh, what's the death list? And honestly, mm -hmm. I threw it in there because I'm just like, I really don't care. But hey, let's let's talk about it. I didn't realize it was going to become the conversation about the show, which is really like the least interesting thing about the show, honestly. It planted the seeds of the idea that these sexual dynamics can drive someone to such a dark place mm -hmm. that it could end in murder, which, as you know, I watch every Friday night on my Friday night, 2020, right. which husband decided to kill his wife this week. So... <laughs> So, I mean, I'm familiar with the idea that it can do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's a fact. You know, and I thought I was going to be watching, you know, a fictional version of a, a Dateline 2020 episode, kind of, <laughs> right. with the understanding that this is something that can really happen. So it just seems strange that in the end, the murder, like while there is that underlying sexual idea of the relationship between Greg and Quentin, really it was about money. Right, right. Right. Which is, so like, which is, what is that? What is that doing here? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, I feel the same way. And those are the reasons that I'm torn at to whether it was successful or not. You know, like uh, it's successful in subverting my expectations, but is, is it successful in telling me something additionally about what the show is all about up until this point? Yeah, it's a good question. I think when it became such a big hook and and I think part of the reason it did is because it was doing a really good job of developing the idea that any one of these people could be driven to do something so awful because of how this plays with your mind and takes you to dark places. And so for it to end up being more of an Agatha Christie situation right. exactly. is strange, right? Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. But still, I find it very entertaining. And like Agreed. you said, and like you said before, uh, as a season of TV, a great season TV and I think much more successful than season one, even yes. though, yeah, they didn't really stick the landing with dead bodies. If you're going to introduce that should tie in thematically with the rest of the show. And it shouldn't be like, well, you know, this is about husbands and wives in general terms. And the husband is trying to kill the wife. I'm like, well, that's not enough. <laughs> I guess you would have to die accidentally. You know what? Now I'm thinking that's where the rope, <laughs> now I'm rethinking everything. That's where I think the rope could play in. If she's been murdered, then theoretically an investigation could tie greg back to these people yeah if she would, dies accidentally yeah. then so imagine the gun is there as a threat but they're not going to shoot her because that's obviously not a it doesn't look like a accidental death unless they try to make it look like a suicide but you can imagine them tying her and drowning her and then untie her and throw her overboard and leave her somewhere where she can be found right that's how i would do it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that seems like beyond their scope, but maybe Niccolo could do it. I mean, why not just push her overboard? Yeah. Well, I mean, she could swim potentially. Mm, potentially. All right. So later this week, we will discuss Fleischman is in trouble. We will keep thinking about this show and decide as to whether this was a satisfying ending or not. And stay tuned for all of that, everybody. Awesome. And good night. Good night. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ona. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.